0: Hi, Jim Kosho here from Dunn Lumber. Welcome to the Dunn Solutions Podcast, where we're committed to providing cutting edge industry knowledge for the building contractor and trade professional. Today we'll hear from Dave Odom, a CPA and Certified Business Exit Consultant. Through his work at his company, Strategic Financial Advisors, LLC, he offers Chief Financial Officer and business transition services to small and mid-sized business owners. Dave has more than 30 years of expertise in serving companies in finance and accounting, including for a Fortune 100 construction company. In this podcast, Dave is sharing the three essential financial components of a well-run business, including why it's crucial to think with the end in mind, the importance of accurate financial reporting and meaningful metrics, and what you need to know about profits versus cash flow. We're excited to have Dave join us on this Dunn Solutions Podcast to help you better evaluate the financial health of your business. For more information on attending future educational events, feel free to email me at jimc at dunnlumber.com. If you have questions for Dave, you can email him at dodum at advisorslc.com.
1: Thank you for coming this morning. So, uh, the, the title of today's talk is uh, The Three Essential Financial Components for a Well-Run and Profitable Construction Company. And uh, I presume that all of you that are here are in one sector of the uh, construction business. Uh, I happen to work in a number of sectors in the wood products industry. So, I, I work with a uh, cedar mill in eastern Washington uh, that creates the products. Uh, I work with Dunn Lumber and another company that uh, distribute the products, and I work with a number of contractors who use the products. So uh, today we're going to cover three primary topics. One is preparing for your exit, Uh, two is how to have accurate reporting for financial statements as well as what are the metrics that you ought to be keeping track of, and number three is what's the difference between working capital, profits, and cash flow. So a little bit about my background, I'm a Kirkland native, grew up here and uh, went into public accountings for 20 years, so I I did the tax return preparation, got exposed to a lot of contractors. From there, I spent five years, um, after selling my CPA firm and getting out of it in 1998, spent five years in a company that I bought that I still own today now 20 years old that does uh, industrial machinery moving and then uh, jumped from that after the 9-11 to Windermere and I was the CFO for Windermere Real Estate here uh, overseeing the West Coast uh, for five years. And in the last 10 years, I've been with B2B CFO, which is what I do now, which is the opportunity as a trusted advisor to be a strategic uh, financial voice into companies, uh, small and large, that need just uh, bite-sized chunks of, of CFO work. So. Uh, I was introduced to Dunn Lumber just about eight, nine years ago and had the opportunity to come alongside when they were post-recession, a recession, struggling with the bank, not really liking some of the covenants, the uh, results that we were measuring, and that was a first for them. So we got a chance to, to go in and talk about things and change them. and It's just been a great ride, and they're a great group to work with. So uh, I know you're all done customers, and I can tell you from the inside out, the people, uh, the level of quality uh, from Jim and the executives all the way through the people that are loading your trucks and helping you out with the lumber are all first-rate people. So after my background, I want to talk about the fact that this isn't my first exposure to contractors. I've owned seven homes in my life. Uh, Most of those homes were not completely finished, so I had daylight basements and uh, remodels and all kinds of things that I've been involved in. And my exposure uh, in contractors has been, I've been a consultant or trusted advisor to contractors as well as I've been a consumer of your products. And it's trained me in things that are unique to your industry. And with that, I hope to shed a little light on some of those topics today. When you first started your construction business, you most likely had learned a trade much like I did. I was a CPA preparing tax returns long before I became a CPA firm owner. And then one day you decide that you're actually gonna be able to build a better mousetrap and you strike out on your own and you're gonna do the job better than the guy or gal that hired you to start with. But did you decide at that point you were creating a business or were you just replacing your job? And from there, were you really envisioning the company that it's become today? Many of us don't know and don't plan your, your business to start with, much less plan your exit. And those are both intentionally critical things to do, whether you're starting a new business or whether you're getting ready to exit from the business that you've run for a long time. The question now is, have you built intentionally a business that will thrive without you? One of the keys to exiting is the ability for you to become non-essential. And what I mean by that is, if the buyer is gonna buy your company, you're probably not gonna stick around very long with it. So you need to have a management team and, a, and supervisors and a crew that can step in and do the work and they can own that aspect without necessarily keeping you on the hook. The question would be is, you know, what happens to your company if you're not around for every day or every week or every month? Or what if you took off a year? Would your company thrive without you. And ideally, you ought to be building your company for an exit in such a way that you can be gone for a day, gone for a week, gone for a month, and theoretically gone for a year without necessarily having your business fail. John Warlow is an award-winning author and speaker. Uh, he wrote a award-winning book called Built to Sell. And the concept behind that was he talked about a, a theoretical business and how this business owner got counsel and learned how to actually take the business he owned and turn it into a saleable business. So when you build your company, sometimes you have a hard time imagining that you'd ever want to leave this precious company that you built. But there are many reasons to build a saleable company. Number one, you may want to start another business someday. Or two, you may need the cash to deal with a personal financial matter. You may want more time for yourself. And you may want to sleep better at night knowing that you could sell it If you had to. And so, with that in mind, I want to tell you a story about one of my early CPA clients. His name was John, and John was a dentist here in Kirkland. And uh, in his dental practice, he had worked a long time and enjoyed what he did. And the story actually starts when he was 67 years old and still working as an active dentist. And one spring day, not too dissimilar from today, He walked out on his patio after seeing a few patients, and he suffered a massive stroke. And all of a sudden, he was paralyzed for half of his body, unable to speak intelligently, and they rushed him off to the hospital. And as the doctor realized that this dentist was still practicing and still working at age 67 in confined spaces the size of your mouth to do... um, a significant amount of detail work without inflicting a lot of pain unless your dentist inflicts pain john didn't practice that style but uh he said you know john you ought to retire and the issue about john is john was actually my dad and so i found that here this business owner had run 67 years and probably 35 years in business 40 years in business before really the reality of planning an exit prepped up for either one of us. I'd been his CPA, done his tax returns, but I wasn't really focused on him. He just seemed to be happy going to work and enjoyed telling jokes to people that couldn't speak back to him because his <laughs> hand was in their mouth. So that really taught me a lesson early on that uh, preparing your business for, for sale and selling it at the right time provides the highest and best value. Now he recovered from his stroke, got full use of everything, kept up his golf game, and lived to be 83 before he passed away. But What I took away from this is if you're a business owner, be prepared for the succession plan because none of us are going to take the business with us. And the question becomes, how do we transfer it at the highest and best value? There's some interesting statistics from John Warlow's recent research on seller satisfaction. These are two pretty eye-opening satisfaction issues. Number one, 75% of business owners have regrets one year after they exit their business. 75%. 5% of all owners are actually happy with the proceeds from their exit. So in light of that, we're gonna talk a little bit more about what it takes to get you ready for sale. Now, selling a construction business is a tough business to sell. Barriers to entry in your business are not significant. So you may be a fine craftsman and you may have a lot of good customers and you may do excellent work, but sometimes the marketplace for Home builders, remodelers is not as broad as certain other businesses because of the barriers to entry and the amount of competition. So you have to be better than the rest. Buyers are also not interested in buying your job. They want a business. And what does that mean? Well, if you, if you own a business, I met a sole proprietor here today, works by himself. The chain of command is he's the top and he's the bottom and he makes all the money that profits in the company. But some of you have employees or large sets of crews and you're out there working on multiple job sites at one time. And the point is, is that you need to be able to measure not just the, the income that you're earning and is that a market rate for the amount of hours you invest. And believe me, I've met a lot of people and done a lot of tax returns for contractors that by the time they take all the hours they work and divide the amount of income they actually derive by the amount of hours worked, they're not making a lot per hour. So the question is, is how much in my making, once I calculate a a market value for what I should be paid if I was working for somebody else and I earn that amount, anything above that in my profitability is really where the the business value is sustained from. So if you're a sole proprietorship or an LLC, everything may flow to your personal tax return. If you're an S corporation or a C corporation or an LLC filing taxes as a corporation, you're probably getting a W-2. You have to kind of exclude your W-2 because that's that's your job. So your job is your W-2 unless you're paying yourself an exorbitant amount of income. And your profits in your company are what people will buy. A statistic from the Chamber of Commerce is that only 20% of the businesses that are offered for sale actually sell. That means one in five of you who go to sell your business will most likely have success in transferring that to a second owner. But buyers are looking for a consistent level of income, profitability, which is ultimately the cash flow generated by the business after paying all the workers, including the founders, a fair wage for the time they work in the business. So there are some reasons why businesses don't sell. Number one, as we talked about before, owners are still essential on the ongoing operations. That's why you need to depersonalize your business and make you redundant. Number two, the company location isn't suitable for growth. Well. We happen to be in one of the hottest markets, so be glad you're here. Uh, The second hardest market I found is I have a home in Chelan. I can't find contractors. I mean, those guys are so busy. There's more housing starts in Chelan and Manson than there are in many other counties in this area. But there are also markets that don't have a lot of competition. If you're in Royal City in the middle of the state uh, by Vantage, there's not a lot of business to be had out there. Not a lot of home building going on or remodeling. So location's important, inadequate financial reporting, and a lack of consistent attention paid to financial metrics. And we'll talk about that a bit more. And then the last item here on my list of reasons business don't sell is the market's changing, and the business owner didn't adapt with ample warning. So we go through market cycles. You know that the best time to sell your business is at the peak of a market cycle. If you prepare your business to sell and we're going into a recession, you're gonna have a much more difficult time actually making that transaction. So a book that's called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People has a statement in there, begin with the end in mind. And that's really what I'm encouraging you to do today. Regardless of whether you're selling your business two years from now or 20 years from now, start with how you're going to exit your business much like how you started your business. There are a number of ways to dispose of a construction company. Number one, you can sell it to another party. That may be a third party. It might be a strategic buyer, somebody that wants to fold in your line of business into their organization. And strategic sales typically yield the highest price. You can sell it to your management team. You could have a crew of people. I have a um, company that does TI work, and um, they're selling actively selling. The founder is selling now to uh, five project managers who have been working in the company for a long time. So he built his own uh, buyer and now he's selling it to them. You could sell it to your employees under an e- Employee Stock Ownership Plan or ESOP. That's a little more difficult unless you've got a large base of employees. Or you might have a succession plan where Jane and John Jr. are going to take over the company one day. We'll make sure that a, they have an interest because a lot of kids grow up and don't have an interest in mom and dad's business. Uh, number two, make sure that they know the trade that they have worked in and, and number three Make sure they have the smarts to, to be able to do it. You can have the DNA of the parent, and that might entitle you to get the business, but unless you've got the MBA or or the literal intelligence to be able to operate the business, uh, a lot of businesses fail at the second rate. You know, Dunn Lumber's in its fifth generation of transfer. We have the third generation of owners getting paid out to, to retire. We have the fourth generation running the company now, and we have the fifth generation coming up we as a company are in the high percentage of successful companies, but very low number of companies actually go two generations, much less to five. So I'm gonna change topics briefly for a minute and talk about uh, accurate financial reporting and meaningful metrics. I printed out for you a sample, and we'll go through this in a few minutes, of uh, financial metrics. And this is for the home building industry, so it's not uh, specific to remodelers and it's also not a specialty trade and we'll talk about what I offer you to get for additional information if you desire. But contractors fail in good markets and in bad, but it's harder to fail in a good market because jobs are plentiful and the available contractors are few, and some people make money despite themselves. They really don't understand uh, what their profitability is or cash flow, but they're just dumb lucky. In down market cycles, competition is tough and margins get leaner. And if you don't have an accurate financial reporting system in place, most likely you're not going to survive the next down cycle. Three primary things that I've found in life cause contractors to go out of business. Errors in estimates, poor job site supervision, and poor visibility to profitability, and cash flow. If you can take care of those three areas and excel at communicating to your customer, you'll have a long and rewarding career in construction. Accurate financial reporting is something that I find in very few smaller construction companies. It usually doesn't matter if they're general contractors, specialty contractors, TI, or other types of construction related services. They rarely perform the cost accounting required to determine their true profit per job. Theoretically, how many of you are accounting for each job in a job cost environment that includes all direct materials, all direct labor, the burden on the labor, subcontract, as well as any other cost, and indirect costs. I, I would guess that not all, and probably a few of you, are doing it to that degree. How many of you are filing your tax return on the income tax or cash basis, and therefore your revenue is made up of your cash payments, and the expenses are whatever you paid out? So it's really more of a checkbook style of accounting and that has no basis in telling you profitability. So the, the key is to really move your construction business into a higher visibility of true job cost profitability. There are two approved methods for construction accounting. You may well be aware of one or both. One is the completed contract method, and this would be uh, pretty much on a, a spec home where you're capitalizing all your cost and then you're going to sell it at one time or if it's a long-term job going over several months you may want to be using the percentage of completion job where you're recognizing profit over a period of time if you're on and off a job for a remodel in a matter of a week or so you probably do it on the completed contract so you save up all the cost on a completed contract and all the revenue that you might bill pre-billings and progress billings and you recognize all the profitability at one point in time when you walk off the job and the punch list is done on a percentage of completion job, you're going to be recognizing profitability based on estimate of cost to complete. So if I estimate $500,000 of cost and I'm at 250, I'm 50% done with the job and I'm going to recognize 50% of the profitability. So with that, uh, many of you may be using software tools such as QuickBooks, Sage, Timberline, Spectrum, from Viewpoint, Pro Contractor, There's just a, a myriad of easy to use and comprehensive accounting packages for contractors. It doesn't really matter which one you use because you can make any one of them work properly if you track jobs cost to the detail that you need to and make sure that you recognize profit when you should. Uh, So having the software and using it properly to account for job and and annual profitability are two different things. I own a chop saw, a skill saw, a jigsaw, a couple of hand saws. I would never be in competition with any of you because I'm more likely to cut my fingers off than make the curve cut properly. So I have good tools, but I don't necessarily know how to use them as well as some of you do. So if you have good tools, make sure your accounting people, your advisors are helping you use your tool properly to tell you what it needs to do or to accomplish its intended result. Business owners that truly understand the annual profitability that it takes in setting up An accounting system will track all costs on all jobs and all overhead related so that they know on a monthly basis what their profitability and is as well their annual profit. For business owners, if you wait until the end of the year and give your accountant the books and have them clean it up and file your tax return, you'll always be surprised and you'll have no time to correct the problems that exist. So my encouragement is your tax preparer is the person that you go have your tax return done your accounting function needs to go on month to month and you need to make sure you understand what you're doing and doing it properly. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. And as Jim pointed out, uh, there are many people that go out of business. So I'm gonna tell you the story of Caleb the contractor. So I hired uh, a contractor to come in and put a fireplace in my bedroom. And uh, I contracted with uh, one company and he sent out his brother-in-law and his brother-in-law did all the work. and I got like Caleb. He was a nice guy, communicated well, did good work, and I thought, I think I'd use him again. Well, a little bit later I decided I was going to go do another remodel in the bedroom and put in some doors and windows and change some other things around. And lo and behold, Caleb had spun off on his own. He'd done the exact same thing that I talked about to start with. He thought he could do it better, started his own company. Well, he came out, gave me a fair bid. We talked about the work. He went after it. And I observed and what I found was that Caleb was falling into the fact that job site supervision wasn't occurring. He had subs coming on the site thinking things were done when they weren't. He was not out when he said he was going to be out there. There were all kinds of issues. And I really liked Caleb as a person. So when we were done and I wrote him a check, I said, Caleb, I don't think you made any profit on this job. He said, what? I said, I've done a lot of construction buying services and I've done a lot of consulting services and I watched the things, the fact that your estimate wasn't adequate for the amount of time you guys spent and your job supervision was poor and I don't think you have a visibility into the metrics of profitability on this job. Well, that didn't make Caleb feel very good about my (laughs) advice. And although we were pleasantly parting ways at that time and I did have him come back and solve another little problem one time, about five years later, I get this email from Caleb and he says, Dave, I want to talk to you. Can, you, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And I said, yeah, let's, let's get together, have a cup of coffee. So we got together and the conversation started something like, I got to admit I'm wrong. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, it's been about five years since you told me how the cows eat the cabbage and how I should be running my business. He said, I've grown my business substantially but I probably made every economic and business mistake that I could, Um, it cost me dearly, nearly cost me the company. And he says, then I met this guy, and this guy is actually a owner of a large cabinet manufacturing company in Pierce County. And he said he took me under his wing and he started teaching me about business principles and financial metrics and things I needed to pay attention to in my business. He says, I've never made more money or had more fun since I started doing this. I said, well, I'm glad you, you, you got things turned around. He said, I'm here to apologize because if I'd listened to you in the first place, I probably wouldn't have paid the price that I paid and I would have been able to make more money over that long period of time. So I can say Caleb was running a very construction remodel company and Caleb did a great job in learning the lesson, although he learned it the hard way first and then he learned it the right way. So what I printed for you today is a series of metrics Now these metrics are for all sizes of companies. So if you stack this up against your own, first of all, this is single family home builders. So if you're in a different trade or a different industry sector, this doesn't relate to you or doesn't specifically relate to you. But with regards to the industry statistics, it's also um, all over the United States. These are financial statements that are submitted to banks. Uh, So if you see the bracketed number under the uh, year in, 2018 there's one thousand five hundred and sixty seven financial statements submitted if you look at the all years far right column There's seventy two thousand two hundred and fifty eight financial statements for a residential building contractor these statistics I'm going to touch on just a few that I think are real critical Uh, One is the current ratio and I'm going to go into that in more detail But basically what this says is for every dollar that they have in liabilities they have two dollars and seventy seven cents of assets, current assets. Again, I'll go into that more, but that, what that says is they're not highly leveraged in their current assets. They, they have a lot of assets versus their debt, almost three to one. The gross profit margin. So when we take all of our direct cost and some of our indirect cost, uh, they're running at about 30% on average. That should stack up probably with where you're at. Profit margin uh, ranges, Of course, in the all years, we're down to 3.23 because we had some of those lost years as well as really hard years. And the most recent 12 months is at 9.11. Well, we'd all like to get a 10% margin out or better. uh, And some of you probably do. But over the long haul, you're going to have ups and downs, and your margin's going to go. You just need to know where you should be targeting that based on your economy. And then refine that over a period of time as you go through the cycles. The other one is about halfway down that chart, and it's called the debt-to-equity ratio. Now in a typical uh, business, a debt-to-equity ratio is the amount of bank and uh, equipment debt, other kinds of long-term debt that you have, compared to the amount of equity that you've left in the business. In the construction industry, you'll see that this is a four to 6 ratio. That means you have a a multiple of $4 to $6 of debt for every dollar you have in equity in the company. That's highly leveraged. That's one of the reasons banks don't love contractors, because they're highly leveraged. Um, So one of the things you can do is work that down. We have been paying off debt voraciously as we could over the last eight years at Dunn and have uh, improved our margins substantially by knowing what we needed to be at and then working at it. The other one I want to point out is just before the growth metric, it's called profit per employee. Uh, that's ranging between $21,000 and $31,000 per employee. So let's say that you have five employees plus yourself. Um, you multiply five employees times $31,000, that means I should be making $150,000 in profit on top of my wage, on top of my fair compensation. Uh, and that's average. So that's not good, that's not bad, that's average. So. In this market, we had to be making more than that. The next page, I'm just gonna talk about three real quick and then go back to uh, finish up on our cash flow and working capital. We've got uh, direct labor as a ratio. This may be varied depending on how much self-performance you do uh, or versus subcontract, but in this industry, it's averaging somewhere between 16 to 21%. Subcontract is running between 23 to 30% for those that are being uh, subbed out, and then our revenue per employee, again, is 400 to $500,000. So working capital, profits versus cash flow. So when we talked about the working capital ratio, working capital is the amount of current assets less the amount of current liabilities. What do I mean by current? Well, that's those items that are converting to cash within a 12-month operating cycle. So what converts to cash? Well, cash converts to cash. Accounts receivable converts to cash. Inventory converts to cash. So it's all the things what's in what's called the current section of your current assets. And then you subtract the current liabilities. So what are current liabilities? Well, accounts payable is a current liability. Your line of credit probably has to be paid off within 12 months. Your business taxes, your payroll taxes, some amount of accrued payroll may need to be paid off. So when you subtract from your current assets, your current liabilities, that gives you working capital. Working capital is in essence the amount of available near-term cash that you can use to operate your business. You wouldn't run a business without working capital any more than you'd function as a human without blood in your system. So lifeblood for a company is working capital. How do you generate working capital? Well, the, the most significant way that businesses generate cash flow and working capital is through profitability. So I have to be profitable and I have to retain that profitability in the company in order to increase my working capital. When you have good cash flow and good working capital, you're not constrained. You may not even be on your line of credit, and you may have plenty of cash. If you're stripping all the cash out of the business, and I can say that when I worked with Windermere and we went through the recessionary period, which wasn't the same uh, window, but when we went through that period, the owners were spending all the cash they were making in their business. And then when the recession hit and houses weren't selling, These offices were closing because they couldn't afford to keep the lights on. They hadn't preserved any working capital to go through the hard time. If you're a contractor, you're gonna go through a cycle or probably five in your lifetime. If you're gonna go through cycles, you're gonna have to build working capital and keep it in the company and not spend it, not spend all of it, um, so that you have some of that working capital to survive the down markets. Profit really is measured when you consider all of your income, and all of your expenses, and then minus what's called depreciation and amortization on your trucks and equipment. When we're talking about profits, that's a place to start, but a lot of people will look at a financial statement and say, well, here's my profit, why isn't that in the bank? Well, that's because the components of working capital require that some of your profit may be sitting in work in process, a job that's going on. Some of it may be sitting in inventory or in accounts receivable. So if you earn income, it doesn't necessarily mean that's cash today. Cash today is measured by looking at your profit and then looking at all the things on your balance sheet that consume your, your profit and then determine the amount of working capital. So if you measure working capital properly on your financial statement and you understand what generates it and what decreases it, then you can manage it. If you don't know what it is, don't care what it is and don't manage it, then we, you probably won't be here in the <laughs> next time they invite me back 10 years from now. Most businesses will fail and attempt to run to the bank to get a loan when they run out of cash. That's absolutely the worst time to do it. You ought to be going to the bank and making them your best client by showing a profitable financial statement with good cash flow when you're in your good season. Then when you're capable of paying that back, uh, they're confident in your business ability to run it. But lines of credit for construction companies are sometimes a difficult thing because the failure rate for construction companies is difficult. And I can I've spoke with hundreds of bankers, and I will tell you they will tell me at certain seasons uh, we're not doing contractors right now. <laughs> They're just flat out saying we don't want to touch the construction industry. Either we've got too much hanging out on bad debts or potential bad debts, or our exposure is too high. To be in business, and to really survive all economies, but actually go beyond surviving but thriving. You're going to need to become knowledgeable about working capital, cash flow and profits, and how they're computed. Absent that, you may be a fine craftsman, but your business may fail. So today, the three topics that we're covering are know your business plan, you wouldn't build a house without a plan, and so why would you build a business without a plan? But if you have a plan to build a business, why don't you build your exit plan at the same time? Know what your intended result is. It may deviate from that at some point. Junior may grow up and want to work in the business and thrives and does a great job. So you've got a new plan. I'm not gonna sell it to somebody else. I'm gonna pass it down in a succession. Tune up your financial reporting. So you can get a true picture of what your job profitability is by job, by month, by year. And then work from that. If you have knowledge, you can work from the point of knowledge to improve things. And lastly, operate your business with an understanding of profitability, cash flow, and working capital. Otherwise, you're flying blind. They say that even a blind squirrel occasionally comes across an acorn. Don't be the squirrel in this illustration. So I'm going to change gears for a second. Uh, Several of you sent in some questions. Somebody said, uh, what about cash flow projections? My answer is Excel is a great tool for that. If you don't know how to use it, uh, find somebody that can help you with that. Measuring your cash flow, particularly knowing how much jobs are going to absorb of your working capital uh, when you're doing any kind of uh, long-term work is critical. Somebody asked about metrics. I just want to say that the handout has a lot of key metrics on it uh, and ones that I would consider both standard financials that your banks are going to look at and then some that are industry specific. What are the biggest trouble spots in financial reporting? Number one, lack of attention to detail, lack of use of an accounting method for constructing uh, jobs, or lack of really putting the right total cost into a job. Somebody asked a question about keeping uh, employees time and field and travel. There are great mobile apps out there. I have a landscape company client that um, sent out hundreds of people in various trucks all over the place. And what we were able to define is what's a geofence around the area of the job site, so we knew when everybody by their phone got to that job site. We were able to know when they left that job site and where they went. We were also able to track them by having them uh, clock into the time, clock into the job, and clock into the phase of the job they were working on. And then all that data went up into the cloud. That was able to be reviewed and then passed down to their accounting system. So if you just go into your options and put in mobile time tracking, you'll find dozens and dozens. Just look for a highly rated one that will work with your accounting software. Uh, Helpful information that is useful to me regarding the transition or sale. Um, I highly encourage you to read a book. It's called Exiting Your Business, Protecting Your Wealth. It's written by a guy named John Lencioni. He's a uh, A very smart individual who's taken and written a very good book for business owners to understand uh, how to prepare for it and then what your executable options are. What makes a company look good at the time of sale? Strong cash generation through profits and having a management team that makes you non-essential. How do you find a buyer and how do you conduct the sale process? Well, most of you won't go through what's called an M&A firm or an investment bank. Um, Your businesses are a little small for that size, unless you're doing 3 to $5 million of of profit and EBITDA. A business broker is more more likely who you would do. And then sometimes you can work through a third-party intermediary. Sometimes you know people that might be a good acquirer of you, uh, or you know somebody that wants to fold your business into theirs. but I would talk to your CPA and and get an idea of uh, the path that you should be taking in your particular business. Uh, Preparation for the sale should start now, regardless of when you plan to sell. If you build your company to to be saleable, it will sell better than those uh, other four people in the room that aren't gonna be able to sell. Strategies for line of credit acquisition, uh, to allow for proper cash flow for growth without having to give up personal guarantees. I hate to tell you this, but personal guarantees are kind of the the deal for banks because they want a primary and a secondary source of repayment. The primary source of repayment is your business. The secondary source of repayment is either going to be your personal net worth or a huge amount of cash sitting in your bank. So it's difficult, but not impossible to get off of a personal guarantee on a construction line of credit, Um, but you will be abnormal if you're allowed to, to not sign personally. And when I say abnormal, I mean abnormally strong as a as a borrower. Any thoughts of how to evaluate vendor partners we use to manage the financial side of the business? How do you evaluate them? Uh, what might we need and whether we're in the startup phase or whether we've been in business for a while? I would say references. Um, talk to other people that have used advisors. Talk to other people that have used accountants or Uh, business industry type experts that work on the financial side. Reputation and uh, their ability to do good work is the, the best way to vet those kind of people. Any other questions for this morning? Good. Thank you.